Today we are starting a new series this morning, and this series is titled, Is This the End or Not? And so we are going to be studying the next three weeks, the end times, and and what the, the Bible has to say about the end of the world. Now, with that is, um, again, I've, I've, as I've talked with some people and knowing that this series is coming, said in this three weeks, and, and people have asked, they're like, how are you going to go through the entire book of Revelation in three weeks? And, and I'll tell you, the answer is I'm not. They, uh, is, in fact, like I said, I'm going to talk today. Uh, today, we're kind of laying a foundation for how to study it and, and to work through the study of the end times. But um, as we start this journey together, um, like I said, it is one that um, I think will be rich and one that will be uh, interesting for you. And, and I, again, I hope and prayers that God will guide us through the next few weeks as we open up this can of worms this morning. Um, so with that said, as uh, we know about the, with, when it comes to the end of the world, there are, have been so much published and given in our world and in our media, whether it's from Hollywood movies to Mayan calendars to popular book series, um, there's a lot of speculation about the end of the world. And the Bible talks about the end of the world. In fact, it talks about it a lot. Okay? And through this three-week series, we're going to take a look at what the Bible actually says. Um, and because there are so many differing opinions out there about when it will happen, what's going to happen, you know, how, how will we know, like all of these things. Um, again, we, and I, I believe that, that as we study God's word, we'll bring some clarity to it for all of us in the next uh, few weeks. Because the God of the Bible is truth. Hey, the God of the Bible is truth. And ultimately, God is the only one that knows what will happen at the end. And, the only, and he is also the only one that has the power to end it whenever he sees fit. And so as we, take, um, as we take what God tells us in his word, we will take it as truth. And we will believe it and we can trust in it and trust in what God says, not in what media says or what any person's opinion is. Right? And so that is the number one goal of this series for me, is to point us back to scripture. Okay, and to live at our core value that scripture is our foundation and our roadmap, right? And that when it comes to the end times or any topic for that matter, that we focus on what God has to say about the subject. Um, like I said, we see that and we know that. Now, with that is that the Bible talks about the end of the world in a lot of places. It is not just in one book at the very end. Okay, is it, it's, um, lots of scriptures speak to it. Now, this morning, I want to start this series um, and, and in a chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Okay, and in this chapter, again, is where Jesus himself talks about the end of the world. Okay, and so that's where we're going to start. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 24. And if you don't have your own Bible, or you don't have one with you this morning, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets in front of you. I invite you to, to open up in that Bible to Matthew chapter 24. And you'll notice the page numbers on the outline are the number, uh, is where you can find this passage in that Bible. So I invite you to open. We're going to uh, open up this series this morning in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, and I want to start with verse 3. So Matthew 24, verse 3, where it says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world. You know, I want to pause there, okay, and to say the disciples present this question to Jesus. 
that he had just, right before this, he'd walked through the temple in Jerusalem and looked at them, and, and he'd said to them and to the crowd, like, this, this temple will fall. Okay, there will be no, no stone will be left unturned. Basically, he says, the world is going to end. And then his disciples come to him later and ask this question. Hey, what did you mean by that? Give us some details. And then in the following verses, Jesus goes in and he starts telling him about all of these different things that are going to happen. Okay, and in the next few weeks, we're going to dive into these words that Jesus gives us. But for this morning, um, as we lay the foundation for the next few weeks, I want to skip down to verse 35. Okay, and this is kind of where Jesus starts to get to some conclusion, uh, you know, statements. And so, so picking up again, Matthew 24, verse 35, where, it say, where Jesus says, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So as we look at these words of Jesus this morning, there are a couple things that we can learn from Jesus, right, in his answer to the disciples as they present him with this question. Okay, number one, the, and again, gives us some things we know for sure, because when it comes to the end of the world, there are lots of things that we don't know for sure. Okay, but there are a few things we do know for sure that Jesus tells us 100% this is the way um, that it will happen. Number one is he says there is going to be an end to this world. Okay, we know that for sure. Okay, scripture speaks to it all throughout. Again, Jesus tells his disciples here that this world will disappear. Right, this world as we know it is going to end. Okay, now, uh, again, we know that. And Jesus validates their question, right, as they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, tell us, how's it going to end? What's going to happen? He validates the question that it is going to end. And it was appropriate for them to be asking him that question, and therefore it's appropriate for us as well to ask God that question. How is the world going to end? How will we know? What, what do we need to do while we wait for it? You know, all these things, again, that the disciples present to Jesus. And then the next thing that he tells us that we know for sure, okay, is that no one except the Father knows when the end will be. Okay, we know the world's going to end. Okay, we also know that, that nobody knows. When? Other than the Father. Again, this, this is one place of Scripture. We have a, a very vivid picture of the Trinity. Okay, as Jesus describes this in these, these parts, again, what does he tell us, right, in verse 36? I mean, he tells us that, that he himself does not even know when it's going to happen. He tells us that the angels don't know when it's going to happen. And when we realize, again, to look at those words of Jesus, when we think about if Jesus doesn't know, if the angels don't know, then how can we ever conclude that we might know? Right? Because we, we don't. I mean, Jesus doesn't even know. Right? And that's exactly what he says. And so now when we, when we think about that and realize, though, any discussion around the end times realizes that that's the first question that comes up. When is it going to happen? Right? And Jesus, again, tells the disciples and us, he says, you don't have to worry about it because we have no clue. Right? We don't know when it's going to happen. Now, I can tell you, in my adult life, there have been two different times in my adult life that, 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 that this has risen up to the top within our media and within our culture about that the end is coming. Okay, the, the, the first one, again, I was in college when this happened, but the first one I remember was Y2K. Okay, and, and literally, this is the, the cover of Time Magazine in 1999. 
Okay, and as that happened again, come through, and even, I mean, it was everywhere. It was all over the place, right? We, we weren't sure. Everybody's talking about it, and nobody knew what was going to happen on, on January 1st, 2000, right? And, and again, is the world going to end? Is it not going to end? You know, is, is, what, what's going to happen? And, and so, again, I, again it, was, it was everywhere, right? And then, you know, New Year's came, and nothing happened. Right? And, and we look at where here we are on New Year's Day in the, the year 2000 and, and everything is fine. Right? And we, then we realize that we are kind of all freaked out over nothing. Right? And, and again, but we thought we had it figured out. Now, yet at the same time, I mean, what happened to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 when we're all freaking out about Y2K? Right? Again, he doesn't even know. Like, we're not, we don't know. Now, the other time that it, that it came up, and I remember it was huge within the media, um, and, and at this time, even, even Hollywood made a bunch of movies about it and all these other different things, but was in 2012 when the Mayan calendar ended, right? And that came up, and again, it was all over the place. It was all in culture. Everybody was freaking out. You know, the Mayans knew something that we didn't know, and, and yet nobody took a step back and said, but the Maya, how could the Mayans know something that Jesus didn't even know? Right? And every, again, everybody freaked out, and it was all over the media. Right? And then, again, 2013 came and, and went, and, and nothing happened. Right? And when we look at these words of Jesus, right, and we see, again, what he says that, that he doesn't know, the angels don't know, only the Father knows. Right? When you see things that give a time and a date, when our, when our media and our culture and our world starts to freak out over something like Y2K or the Mayan calendar, we can, again, take a step back as followers of Jesus and say, I don't have to worry. Right? Because, because Jesus doesn't know, and so therefore we're not going to know. Right? Again, and this is my opinion, again, in saying that, but I feel like anytime somebody comes out with a date, it just guarantees that that is not the end of the world. Right? Because if, if they got it right, then that means Jesus lied to us. And I don't believe for one second that anything that Jesus said was a lie. Right? And so when you look at that, now again, we, but yet we see there are people in our culture that, that continue to throw out dates. Right? Again, just Google it. I mean, it's crazy what you find. Okay, there are authors or things, I mean, you know, people even take out billboards, okay, to, to say, save the day, Christ is coming back. Now, again, May 21st, 2011, obviously that one's wrong, right? Um, you know, as we think now, again, personal opinion, I think if you see a date, then I'm pretty sure that it's not happening on that day, okay, because the words of Jesus are true, okay, and, and, and we know that, we can rest on that. Okay, and, and then the last thing that I want to point out that we know for sure that Jesus tells us, okay, in Matthew 24, is that his words will never disappear. Okay, he says, the world will end, but my words will never disappear. Okay, and again, as we look at that, and we, when we think about end times, for most people, this topic comes up, and it's one that, that scares us. It's one that brings up all kinds of questions and, and we kind of, you know, we're, we're not sure what's going to happen or when it's going to happen and, and we, we kind of freak out about it. And yet, these words of Jesus, this fact that he tells us, the world will end. We know that for sure. But we also know for sure that Jesus' words will not disappear. And this should be a source of hope for us. Right? Because look at the words of Jesus. I mean, all the words of Jesus, they will not disappear. I want to look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 3 this morning. 
John chapter 3, starting at verse 16, very famous verse, John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Again, we look at these words that, again, the gospel message in, in, a, in just a few sentences as Jesus teaches it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? And Jesus says, again, these are words of Jesus that will never disappear, right? That is always true, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, and his son lived a sinless life, and he died on a cross, and he rose again on the third day to usher in the covenant of grace so that we can be saved. And that will always be true. Right? Even when the world ends, as we know it, when it ends, that will never change. Right? Because his words will never disappear. And that is the source of hope for us when we talk about the end times. And as we open this can of worms as a church family for these next few weeks, I want to tell you is there is nothing to be scared about, about the end of the world because these words will never change, right? And, and, and truthfully, end times is, has nothing to do with our salvation, okay? And the, the end of the world in scripture, and there's parts of it that are pretty vague and things that we don't know, okay? And again, we're gonna see that as we dive into this study through these next couple weeks. And you know what? And that's okay, because what is crystal clear in scripture is how we are saved. And what we're supposed to be doing in our life and in our faith journey between when we're saved and whenever the end happens. Right? And that is crystal clear in Scripture. Right? And so, again, end times, you know what? As we like said, we dive into this and, and there's all these opinions and things that might or might not happen or when. And, and all, you know what? Is we might all be wrong. And it's okay. Because we're not wrong about that. Jesus is the Messiah and he saved us. Right? And if I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do in my faith journey and I'm, I'm living for Christ every day and I'm growing closer to him, I don't have to worry about dying and I don't have to worry about the end of the world. Okay? And, and so it can be a source of hope because Jesus' words will never disappear. Now again, if we're going to talk about the end times, the end of the world, if you ask anybody, even if they don't don't even go to church or don't even know that much about the Bible. Most people know if you want to know about the end of the world, you open to the book of Revelation. Okay, again, we kind of know that. Now, um, it, and, and it's true, Revelation is the primary place in the Bible that we look to for information about the end of the world. However, I want to tell you today that Revelation talks about several different topics, and the end of the world is one of them, but it isn't just about the end of the world. Okay, now again, as, as my, my years and experience as a pastor and of studying the Bible, um, I look at Revelation in this way. Okay, the book of Revelation hey, is a book that everyone talks about and almost no one reads. Okay, and, and that, uh, then that leads me then to my primary goal for this series. Okay, and that is to get you to read Revelation yourself. Okay, and so as we look at that, again, my main goal, right, is for you to not listen to anybody else's opinion, not even to listen to my opinion about what the end times is going to be like. I want you to read the scripture yourself. 
Okay, and so there, again, then my goals for this series, I'll tell you, that's why, again, there are things I'm not going to do in this series. And the first one I'll tell you is I'm not going to take us verse by verse through Revelation. Okay, because I know, shocking, isn't it? Because I've, now I've told you that like three times. I'm not going to do that. Okay, because I want you to read it yourself. Okay, I want you to read it yourself. Okay, next, I am not going to give you my opinion. Okay, again, my goal for this series, okay, as we open up this can of worms, as we study the end of the world, okay, you will quickly realize that there is more than one opinion out there about how the world will end, and that's okay. Okay, Bible scholars have been debating over this issue for centuries, and we are not going to solve it in the next three weeks. Okay, they have been arguing it, like I said, now, Again, I, w I do want you to read it, to study it, to, to take all of the information that we will cover over the next few weeks and for the Holy Spirit to guide you to your own conclusion. Okay, now, no matter what your opinion is at the end of this, remember that Jesus' words will never disappear. Okay, and that your view or anybody else's view of the end times is not a salvation issue. Because anything that is a salvation issue is crystal clear in scripture. Okay, and, and this is not a salvation issue. Okay, and so if we make it into a salvation issue, then we have completely missed the point. Okay, because the point is that we are saved through Christ. Okay, and again, right now, before we, we dive into this, again, is I hope that you know today whether you are saved or not. Do not wait for the end times to figure that out. Okay, figure it out today in this place, right? And if you are not saved and you don't know Jesus as your savior, you can pray and receive him, open your life, confess your sins, and he will forgive your sins, right? And you can make him the Lord of your life right here today. And I hope that you'll do that if you've never done that before. So again, I challenge you. Okay, and so this is the official challenge. The dare is being made right now. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Read Revelation yourself this week. Okay, now, it's 22 chapters long, okay, and so uh, get into it. I know, uh, but you can do it. I know you can do it, okay? Is, so again, get your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you a Bible, okay? Read it this week, okay? And this is the easiest book in the Bible to find, okay? It's the very last one, okay? So go in there, find it. That's the challenge. Okay, now, um, as we look at that, and as we look at that challenge, Okay, is say, where do we start? Are you guys ready to get started? Okay, I think I've laid, I've, I've gotten around it enough. Now let's get started. Okay, this is where we're gonna start today. Okay, is I'm gonna give you some common misconceptions about Revelation, okay, and the truth about those. Okay, the first common, mi common misconception is this, that Revelation is a set of, is a set timeline of events leading up to the final judgment. Okay, again, this is a misconception. This is not true about the book of Revelation. Okay, now, um, again, just, just as it says, this is a misconception. Okay, Revelation does talk about the end times, but it also talks about a lot of other things. As we read it and study it, as you read it this week, you'll realize that it talks about a lot more than just the end of the world. And there are a lot of valuable lessons to be learned from this book of Scripture. Okay, um, the truth, okay, is that Revelation is prophetic literature. Okay, Revelation is prophetic literature. And this is what I mean by that. There, there are lots of different kinds of writing in the Bible. Okay, um, think with me back to your English class and when you were doing writing for school. 
Okay, remember that you, you write differently if you're writing a research paper than if you are writing an email to a friend. Okay, a, a script for a play looks very different than a news article. And these are all different kinds of literature. Okay, and prophecy is a unique kind of literature. Okay, and, um, and therefore we read it and interpret it differently than we interpret other kinds of literature. Okay, there's lots of different kinds of literature in the Bible. There's poetry, there's letters, there's historical books, and there's prophecy. Okay, and now when we cut to prophecy, okay, is we need to, again, have a couple tools in our tool belt and to know how to read prophecy and interpret it correctly. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to give you some tools, okay, to, to prepare you for when you read Revelation this next week. Okay, first off is that we need to know that there are two purposes for prophecy within the Bible. All prophecy in the Bible, not just Revelation, but also all of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, you know, um, Daniel, okay, minor prophets, all of them, all of those are all prophetic literature. They, all of it fits into one of these two purposes. Okay, the first purpose is forth-telling prophecy, and that is divinely inspired explanation. Again, divinely inspired, it is God speaking, okay, um, explanation of a current or recent event. Again, when we think about prophecy, prophecy it was written by a prophet. Okay, again, a prophet is a, was a person that had a direct connection to God. God would give them a message, okay, and then they would then give that message to a certain group of people. And, and throughout most of the Old Testament, that group of people was Israel. Again, they needed prophets because they did not have the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so God um, now, as we, the Holy Spirit lives in, in the heart of every believer today after Acts 2, after Pentecost. Okay, so again, God can speak directly to us through the Holy Spirit and, and lives in the heart of every believer. Then, the Holy Spirit wasn't with, in the heart of every believer, so God would speak through prophets. And what then the message that they gave, and they would write it down, and that message is what we now know as prophecy in the Bible. Okay, so forthtelling was divinely inspired exclamation. God would tell somebody, a prophet, a, a message, most typically about condemning some sort of sin or corruption, as well as warning of, of coming judgment. And then it was that prophet's job was to go to that group of people and deliver that message. Okay, a, a good example of that is the story of Jonah. Okay, Jonah and the whale. Remember, God gave him a message for the city of Nineveh. And he was supposed to go to Nineveh and tell him that message. He said, I don't want to tell him that message. And he, he went off and ran, right? And he went through this whole process and ended up finally delivering and completing his job that God had given him to do. Okay, Jonah was a prophet. Right? And, and the message he had, again, for Nineveh, was prophecy. Again, prophecy is mostly found in the Old Testament because of their lack of the Holy Spirit. So God had to speak through prophets. And that's where we see most of it. Again, the only prophetic by, uh, book in the New Testament is Revelation. Okay, then, so foretelling. It talks about current or recent events. Okay, then the other purpose for prophecy is foretelling prophecy. Again, divinely inspired, once again, but it is predictions of future events. Okay, again, even foretelling prophecy could be current, recent, or even just in the next little amount of time for that group of people. Foretelling would be long years into the future, okay, if that message is, is that. Okay, typically, foretelling prophecy is more confusing because it hasn't happened yet. Right, again, if you, go, if you work through an experience and then someone comes, oh, hey, this is what was happening, this is what God was thinking, that's why that happened to you, that makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, now I see it. Right, when it's foretelling, it's not as clear. Okay, and so it is tends to be more confusing. 
These two purposes are what create the division and disagreement about Revelation. Because Revelation has both purposes in it. Okay, John wrote Revelation as he explained events that were happening or recently had happened when he had originally written the book. He also describes events that will happen long in the future. And that is why reading prophecy can seem so confusing because it is not always obvious when it switches. Okay, Revelation includes both purposes. So the key to reading any prophecy book is realizing when it switches. If you read a passage that John intended as foretelling, but interpret the meaning of it as foretelling, then you can come to a drastically different meaning than what John originally meant when he wrote it. Okay, and now I realize this seems confusing, and you're probably wondering, why does it feel like I'm more like in a class in school this morning than in church? Okay, but I'm telling you, stick with me, because these are the tools we need to work our way through this series. Okay, the, so the next misconception okay, is that Revelation is all about the end of the world. Again, this is a misconception. That's not true. Okay, now not only do we have these two purposes, okay, but to shed light on this misconception, I also, we need to talk about the three different categories of prophecy. Okay, so we have two different purposes, and we also have three different categories. The first category is general prophecy. Okay, which general prophecy explains current situations when the prophecy was written. Okay, so again, this, like, again, Nineveh was general prophecy. Right, again, it was, it was, it's happening right there, right? And it was to, to this, it was when it was written. If you don't turn away, God's going to destroy the city. Okay, um, so general prophecy. The next uh, category is messianic prophecy. Any um, description about the chosen or coming Messiah. Again, Isaiah is a very great example of a lot of messianic prophecy. It's why we go back and read lots of passages in Isaiah around Christmas time, right? Because there's, there's a lot of, of prophetic passages about the coming Messiah in Isaiah that was written thousands of years before Christ was born, right? But now we can go back and see that this messianic prophecy about it was describing the chosen Messiah that was fulfilled at Christmas when the Christ child was born. Okay, the messianic prophecy, anything that has to do with the Messiah. Okay, and then the last uh, category is end times prophecy. And that is prophecy that is foretelling the events of the end times. Okay, end times prophecy. Okay, which again, anything that has to do with the end times. So you see, both of these, um, so we have both of these things to consider as we read Revelation ourselves. Okay, first is the purpose, and then the category. Again, I realize it seems like a lot to handle, okay, but over the next few weeks, we're going to work together and, and work through this skill of being able to identify which purpose and which category we are reading. Okay, and it is very important that we get it in the right one, because if, if it's in the wrong one, you'll get to very drastically different conclusions. Okay, so the truth, okay, is that um, Revelation includes all three categories. Okay, it, it includes all three categories. Okay, so again, there is, there is general prophecy in Revelation. There is messianic prophecy in Revelation, and there is end times prophecy in Revelation. All three of them are there. Okay, in fact, um, both purposes, uh, all three categories are in the book of Revelation. So the potential for getting it wrong is fairly high. Okay, which is exactly what leads us into the last misconception I want to provide this morning, 
and that is that revelation is standalone and confusing. Okay, and again, this is, this is a misconception. This is not true. Okay, let, let me first by saying, okay, is that one, revelation is not standalone. Revelation fits into the picture of the entire Bible and the narrative that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. It fits in the entire work of God. Okay, and if, if, your, if your conclusions out of Revelation does not fit with the rest of Scripture, then you've messed up somewhere. Okay, because Scripture just never contradicts itself. And so if, if you take a conclusion out of Revelation and it doesn't match with Isaiah or it doesn't match with Daniel or it doesn't match with Matthew 24, then we have messed up in our interpretation of Revelation because it does fit. It is not standalone. It fits in the rest of the Bible. Over these next few weeks as we go through it and study it, I hope you realize that it is not as confusing as it first seems. Again, most people just take an opinion that they hear as fact because they live in this misconception, and I'm challenging that today. Say, don't believe it. Okay, it's not standalone, and it's not as confusing as you think it is. Okay, as we look at that, realize that anything you read other than scripture about end times is somebody else's opinion. Okay, and again, I wanna focus on God's opinion about the end times in this series. Okay, so whether it's, it's a narrative book, whether it's a blog on the internet, whether it's, it's, a, it's a scholarly book that you pick up, whether it's a commentary on Revelation, is that it is somebody else's opinion. They've gone through and they've already concluded what, where they think it switches categories, where it switches purposes, and they've come to those conclusions and they are teaching you their bias. Okay, and so again, um, it, it, no matter what their conclusions are, okay, is it needs to fit Okay, within um, the rest of scripture. Now, there are four historically common views and interpretations of Revelation. That's right, there are four different ones. Okay, next Sunday, we're gonna dive in and we're gonna look at all four of them. Okay, and see what they are, what do they mean, how do they interpret it, all of those things. But again, we will, we'll jump into that next week, but there are four views of Revelation. Okay, four differing ones. And you can find books and, and articles and all kinds of things on, on all of them. Okay, so, but this is the truth. Okay, the truth is that Revelation is an important piece of God's love letter, and I need to read it and interpret it myself. Again, I want to trust in God's opinion, not in someone else's. Okay, because, again, Scripture is our foundation, and it is our roadmap, right? And we want to focus on God's opinion, okay, and on what he tells us. Okay, like, again, the Bible is God's love letter to you, and Revelation is, fits in with the entire love letter that God wrote to us in the Bible. God wants us to read it. He wants us to read all of it. Again, Re Revelation seems confusing because it uses figurative language. But with a little studying and seeing how it fits within the rest of Scripture as a whole, the language becomes easier to understand. Okay, there are common phrases that are used throughout the entire Bible that represent different things in the figurative language. Okay, and they are also present in Revelation. Here's a couple examples. Everyone, anytime you read about stars, stars represent angels in the Bible. Okay, lampstands represent churches, not just in Revelation, but all throughout the Bible. Okay, there's a common phrase, coming on the clouds, that is used in all kinds of, of um, scripture. And that is a com was a common phrase for judgment used throughout the Bible. Again, anytime you see the figurative language of a lamb, it is foreshadowing the Messiah. 
Okay, and it does these things. Again, it's true all throughout Scripture, and it's true in Revelation. Okay, now again, um, we can see, again, there's all this language. You hear about lampstands and stars and, and beasts and 12 heads and all these kinds of things, and it seems confusing, but yet this is imagery that is present all throughout Scripture. Again, the same can be said regarding numbers. Again, in the Bible, seven is God's number. It is the number of completion. Okay, that starts in Genesis with the seven days of creation. Okay, and that theme, that number seven, goes all the way through Scripture as God's number, the number of completion. We see it present in Revelation as it is all throughout the entire Bible. Also, the number six is man's number. Okay, and it is, again, it's, it's man's number because it is one short of God's number. Okay, and one short of, of us being God because we are made in God's image. But just as Paul tells us in Romans, we fall short of the glory of God. Right? And so six right, is one short of God's number. Anytime you see something given in a set of three in, in the Bible, is, then it is communicating that it is the maximum level of whatever it, it's talking about when you see it repeated three times. Example, one of the phrases we see in Revelation over and over and over again is this phrase that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Again, holy is in three, which means it is the maximum it can ever be. God is the most holy that anything could ever be. It is said three times. Okay, we can also see, again, in Revelation, going back to the number, right, is, again, in three, man's number six. If there's three sixes, it is the most fall short of God's glory as you could get. It is the maximum. Again, that is the number that is described of the Antichrist. It is the most opposite of who God is because it's three sixes. Okay, we see this imagery. Again, it is not just in Revelation. It's through the entire Bible. Okay, when we see these in other scriptures and then again in Revelation, it starts to make the whole picture a whole lot more clear. Okay, and now, again, I encourage you, again, to, if you're not in a small group or in a Sunday school class, that, that, um, that you need to dive into the deeper questions that those classes are doing to really get the, the full max of this series. Okay, if you're not in a small group, like I said, all of our small groups are going to stay on the sermon follow-up questions um, during this series. If you're not in a small group, the, the questions are available at the Info Center, and I, I encourage you to grab them and go through them on your own. Okay, and again, we're going to kind of work and, and hone in these skills, right, about how um, to interpret it. So again, there are lots of scriptures that talk about the end times. It's not just Revelation. And whatever your conclusions you come to in Revelation must match with all other scriptures. Okay, so as we start to read it, again, as you take your challenge this week and start to read it, okay, um, there's a few keys I want to end with this morning as you start to read it. The first key to reading prophecy is you need to first identify the purpose and the category before searching a meaning. Okay, first identify a purpose and a category. We need to make sure that we let, let Scripture lead us to our conclusion. We don't want to go into this with the attitude of, this is what I want to happen, so I need to find a Scripture to support it attitude. And truthfully, we go with that attitude into scripture a lot, and we can't do that, right? We need to let scripture lead us, okay? The, the, um, yeah, we need to read scripture first and then let it lead us to the meaning and not the other way around, okay? And again, this is key, okay? This is very key, especially to reading Revelation, because like I said, um, 
Revelation includes both purposes in all three categories. Okay, and, and every Bible scholar I, will tell you that, that that's true. Revelation includes all of them. Okay, what, what they disagree on is when it switches. Because it's not always obvious when it switches. But you can look at exactly the same scripture, right? And if it's, if it's foretelling messianic, it means something completely different than if the same verse is foretelling end times. Okay, yeah, I hope that makes sense. If it's clear as mud, stick with me. We're going to clear it up through the next couple weeks. Okay, and then lastly, okay, is that your conclusions need to fit with the rest of the Bible. Okay, because John wrote it, okay, to fit in with all of Scripture. Because you can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say if you take it out of context. Okay, and this is done most commonly with prophecy books. Okay, scripture does not contradict itself. Okay, and so our conclusions need to fit with the rest of scripture. I realize this is a lot of content. This was probably not what you were expecting when you came to church today. Okay, but I'm just telling you, hang with me as we go through this series, because I believe that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes, right, to what scripture truly says. Okay, um, again, this, I hope that you can leave here today, you know, knowing that End times is a can of worms, okay, and it is. But as we open up that can of worms together as a church family, I hope you will leave here this morning knowing, right, that end times is not a salvation issue. And it is not something that I have to be scared of or that I have to worry about. Okay, because if I am and doing everything that is crystal clear in Scripture, which means I know Jesus Christ, I've received him as my Savior, I'm living for him every day, I'm journeying closer to him, tomorrow than I am today, if I'm doing all of those things, right, then I don't have to know exactly how the world's going to end, okay, and I don't have to be scared of it, okay, because the, the last thing I want to point out that we know for sure, no matter what we, we believe about Revelation or how we interpret any of these passages, what we know for sure is that God wins, right, God wins. The end of the story is already written, Okay, and, and again, it, for us to end up on God's team at the end with God in the new heaven and new earth, right, in heaven at the end is all we need to know is how are we saved. And we know that very clearly in scripture. And so if you know Jesus as your savior today, you don't have to be scared about death and you don't have to be scared about the end times. Okay, and I hope that you can leave here today with a hope of knowing that, you know what, yeah, we can, we can dive into it, and we can look, and we can learn, and, and get into scripture, and, and, and interpret, and, and even disagree, right? But we don't disagree on how we're saved, and the fact that God wins in the end. So that leads me today, hey, to my final thought. Okay, and before I give you my final thought, I will tell you one more time, your homework this week is to read Revelation yourself. Okay, I hope you'll do it. Okay, uh, the final thought is this. All scripture needs to be interpreted correctly to be helpful. Prophecy is the most misquoted, misinterpreted, and misused form of scripture. Will you put in the effort to come to your own conclusions? I, I hope you will. Okay, and even if you don't read Revelation this week, still come back next week. Okay, we'll, we'll, we're going to walk through it together. Okay, but, but I, I hope you'll, you'll read it yourself. I hope that you will rise to that challenge. I hope that you will even bring people with you next week that also want to know about the end of the world, that need the hope of Jesus Christ. Because together, as we walk through these next few weeks, we will find the hope and the truth that only lies with Jesus and with his word. 
God, we thank you today, God, that you love us more than we can imagine. And God, you love us, Lord, so much that you don't want us to worry about the end times. God, we're worried about what happens when we die. God, you told us very clearly in your word, God, how we can be saved. God, and what our lives are supposed to look like until you come again. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would focus on you. Lord, that, that, that the, the destination of our journey would truly be Christ. God, as we follow scripture, God, as it leads us, Lord, closer to you tomorrow than we are today. And God, I pray that as we leave and as we go and as we journey in our own faith, God, that we would be a source of hope and your light in this dark world. And God, I pray that our confidence in who you are and knowing that you win, God, will be, will be telling to other people, God, to see that, 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 again, that we have you and that they need you as well. God, guide us this week as we open your word and as we read. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit lead us through every moment of our life. God, we love you. God, because you love us so much first. And we praise you for that today. Lord, guide us as we go and in these next few weeks as we study the end times. We love you, God. We praise you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.